so exciting that we are now on episode three. And we don't even have our person here today to tell us to carry on. So we were just chatting shit for the last, I don't know, five minutes or so. And then we realized we had to start the episode because usually Kirk is the one that tells us we need to carry on. So we're just going to jump right into this week's episode. But uh, welcome back to Let's Unpack That, your weekly podcast where these politically engaged, queer and questionable millennials unpack topics through the top of our minds. Oh, my God. It's just really getting wordy these days now. So just in the spirit of Christmas, (laughs) I'm going to forgive myself And you already know the intro, and you can read it in the description, and you can read it on my Instagram. I'm Paul, but here with me this week is our panel of experts. Just two days into his two-week break, he's already consumed more beer than the entirety of March 2020, and he's sure to be slurring his speech to escape the void of doom that is existing as a straight white man in 2021. He's Andrew Nagy. How are you, Andrew, and what are you drinking? I am fantastic because I am drinking a Troganator, which is one of the classic beers from Trogues, which is a Pennsylvania hometown favorite. You know, I actually saw someone with Trogues out here this past week, and I had never seen Trogues in Columbus before, and I was so proud of them for making it this far. Shop local, baby. Right. Also, my microphone is like very backwards. I fixed it, but. Yeah, you sound way better right now. I'm just done. (laughs) It's the season. Oh, well, Erica, this is supposed to be your episode because with one less toxic queer recording on this podcast this week, this will surely be your most joyful episode yet. Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It's our resident homophobe, Erica Ellis. First of all, I'm going to go on record and say if I were homophobic, I have some toxic relationships with like 99% of my friends. (laughs) One of those friends being Andrew on some days. <laughs> That's true. Oh well, what are you drinking tonight? Anything? Or are you just cutting up paper over there? Oh, no. I am drinking Menage a Trois. I think it's like a, it's a red blend, but it's like something, I don't know, sensually named. I think it's stupid. Okay, Sandra, stop. Sorry, my cat's <laughs> ignorant. I will say that Menage a Trois is like one of my more reliable favorites. I feel like I drank it pretty much once a week from like 2014 to 2017. It's honestly like a rock solid cheap wine. It's like if I want something cheaper than Josh that I know is reliable, I'll get Menage a Trois. (laughs) And it was on sale at the liquor store, so I went in. Oh, did you get a case or you just like walked by it and you're like, got to add it. I got like two bottles, but I got like eight bottles overall. Oh, good for you. Yeah, it is the holiday season. I'm currently drinking. I got a couple airplane bottles of Jack Honey for my birthday. So I am currently drinking that inside of a local ginger beer um, that I got while I was in Kentucky. It's like so delicious. It's called Freddy's Old Fashioned Ginger Beer. It's not alcoholic, so it doesn't like have a huge punch when you're mixing it with a drink, but it's been a fairly good drink. So I'm excited for episode three. I hope that folks have been enjoying the past two episodes. We're still working, I think, on getting our groove back a little bit, just in that I've been making so many mistakes that we've needed to edit out. And also this week, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather. So if you're feeling a little bit of extra vocal fry or hearing it, just know I'm auditioning for NPR. (laughs) But this week, we are going to unpack some headlines. So we've got three big ones, some of which you probably already know, and some of which may even have some slight updates by the time that you hear this recording. We're recording this a little bit earlier than usual just because of the Christmas holiday. And a lot of things right now in Washington, D.C. are sort of being expedited because of the Christmas holiday. So things are changing rapidly, I feel like, despite the fact that the Senate is out of session. But we'll be right back in just another minute or so, and we will start to unpack our headlines. And then after that, you'll hear Pack It Up. All 
All right, and we are back to unpack some headlines. So this week, each of us, just the three of us, since Kirk is not here, will take a headline from last week's news to unpack, and then the group is going to dissect it a bit. So usually this segment takes no more than 30 minutes, but it's just our way of keeping you informed about what's going on and adding a little bit of commentary. So Andrew, why don't you go ahead first with your headline? Okay, this is actually from this week. There was an event called America Fest, which already off to a great start, that was a four-day event put on by an organization called Turning Point USA, and that ended today. So it was the 18th, 19th, 20th, and 21st. And if correct me if I'm wrong, like is Turning Point USA founded by Charlie Kirk, or is he just a big part of it? Yes. I think it's a little bit disputed, but he was one of the original members. It was him and I think a man named Billy Montgomery, who was kind of the older money side of the operation. I I think Charlie Kirk was 18 when it was founded, and it was founded in 2012. And it's this organization that does conservative outreach kind of on American educational institution campuses. So high schools, colleges, universities, all over the place. Um, They function by setting up these chapters on campuses that people can join. And they also sponsor speakers at colleges and high schools and events. And also on their social media channels, they put out all kinds of completely unhinged and just absolutely ridiculous attempts at memes, you know, the sort of conservative memes to own the libs sort of thing, to the point where their meme format that they created has become a complete parody of itself. There's a whole subreddit devoted to parodying the Turning Point USA meme format. It's called Toilet Paper USA. So go check that out. It's hilarious. One of my favorite subreddits. It's, I it's do incredible. Have to say. <laughs> and as a sidebar, one of my favorite things about it is they make fun of Charlie Kirk, his appearance. And we should never make fun of people's appearances, but because Charlie Kirk is such an absolute chud, it's totally okay. And his like features are kind of like too small for his head. And as people Photoshop him and it gets more and more and more Photoshopped, his eyes and nose and mouth just gets Photoshopped smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller over time until he just has this gigantic head. It's absolutely hilarious. Fantastic. But anyway, America Fest. Yes. So <laughs> toilet, toilet Paper USA, there I go. Turning Point USA is yeah, founded by this guy, Charlie Kirk. He's this right-wing chud. He's a, the typical right-wing guy who is kind of the definition of what he would call a soy boy. But of course, his claim to fame, he kind of claimed that he was rejected from West Point in favor of, quote, a far less qualified candidate of a different gender and a different persuasion. Over time, he's walked that statement back, but that's what he used to claim was his origin story. So, of course, that he's trying to lean into the whole, the super, fuck, I just lost my train of thought. Um, okay, it's like that narrative that white men are being erased. Yeah, and, and leaning into that, the conservative right wing, like ultra macho, like military and law enforcement, but people like Charlie Kirk and Tucker Carlson there, you know, Tucker Carlson grew up ultra wealthy and he's kind of a, you know, mamby pammy guy himself, but they lean into this and, you know, they're kind of like Donald Trump was this sort of strongman authoritarian figure, but uh, he found a loophole to get himself out of military service. So they're all kind of like this and they're like, oh, I would have been in the military. Oh, I totally would have been special forces, bro. So that's the background on what Turning Point USA is. And it's gone from something that was really small in 2012 and 2013. They were pulling in, it's it's a nonprofit organization, and they were pulling in, you know, a couple tens of thousands of dollars per year in revenue. And it has ballooned to the point where last year they pulled in almost $40 million in revenue. So it has become a very important factor in the American right wing. They have partnerships with other large and important right wing organizations like PragerU, and they do all of the hits opposing critical race theory and the 1619 project blm opposing any view on sexuality or gender that falls outside of what they would call the cishet norms and of course boosting conspiracy theories like cultural marxism and denying the results of the 2020 presidential election because of fucking course they do and obviously everything and anything to do with the pandemic oh also fun fact friend of the pod candy owens was their communications director until 2018 when she had to resign because she made a comment that 
a lot of people construed as being pro-fascist and kind of pro-Hitler. So we're not going to get into all that, but you can... I did not realize that Candace Owens was part of Turning Point USA. No, I didn't either until I was researching Turning Point today for this story and you really realize how much of the American right is just this revolving door of bullshit. They all just kind of like float around and sniff each other's ass. (laughs) So... My headline is from Salon, and it's America Fest. Right-wing youth just held a wild carnival of fun-filled fascism. And it is – it was insane. I mean, there's video of this that came out over the last couple of days. It's absolutely unhinged. It's completely wild. But it shouldn't be downplayed at all. And I don't think this is getting enough media coverage because – I mean, this has been a recurring theme of my headlines over the last two episodes – where these things are just, I don't think, getting enough media coverage. I mean, this is an organization that's pulling in close to $40 million a year, and they had just the litany, the who's who of of radical right-wing people there. Tucker Carlson was one of the headliners. I mean, everybody, Jesse Waters, all kinds of people, the Project Veritas idiots. And it's in some of these less mainstream outlets like Salon and the Daily Beast that are talking about this, but really nothing on like CNN or the New York Times or even other Fox News, of course, had stuff about it, but really not that much. And that's kind of surprising to me because this is a huge deal. Of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene was there. Lauren Boebert was was there. And there's just I mean, it's four days and there's just way, way too much to get into. We could create an entire podcast series just talking about the four days of this fucking thing. But some of the highlights are Marjorie Taylor Greene attempted to say that our country's right wing is inclusive, but in doing so, she used the term yellow people to refer to people of Asian heritage. And she did this on stage in front of everybody without missing a beat and like no one batting an eye at this it was wild i mean there's video of that you can literally that one like yeah that comment honestly like took me out like i could not believe that obviously i could believe that things like that were said at this conference i'm not saying that that part is surprising to me like the fact that it, it flowed so naturally from her vernacular when she was saying black brown i was like wow like i was like just like a a sitting u.s member of congress with like racism just sort of so easily flowing out of her mouth i was like there wasn't even a little bit of like political correctness there she really went straight for the jugular in terms of racism shocking yeah but not surprising absolutely and you know you can't even explain it away by saying well she said black and brown which are acceptable terms and then just slipped up because she has a documented history of saying incredibly racist things about Asian people, but especially Chinese people, and just a lot of rhetoric about China and sending those people back to their country and they're invading America and all those kinds of things. So this is oh, definitely not something that's like deepened her, her soul. She like she oh, really not it. to mention the China virus itself. Yes, Hello. <laughs> Lauren Bobert, of course, leaned hard into January sixth like language by asking what the attendees would do with their quote God given authority and then said, I am tired of having godless people who hate America run this country. You and I are going to take this country back. Which is Absolutely exactly what was said on January 6th before people went down to the Capitol and stormed the building. And of course, people on Fox News and Breitbart and other conservative news outlets want to claim that language doesn't matter and what she said doesn't matter or, you know, what what President Trump said doesn't matter and what Rudy Giuliani said that morning doesn't matter. And no one could take those words as violence or asking them to do anything. But as we've seen time and time and time again, all it takes is one comment like this and one person says, hey, it is now my time to shine. I have to go do something about this. And then we get somebody walking into a pizza shop in downtown DC mm-hmm. with a gun and start shooting the place up. This is going to keep happening. And there's just no justification for talking like this. For me, though, the penultimate moment of this entire fucking clown fiesta was they brought out Kyle Rittenhouse and he is continuing his redemption tour and solidifying himself as this celebrity figure in the American right wing, which is absolutely fucking insane. 
he came out on stage like this conquering hero so like just deafening cheers from the audience pyrotechnic yes they had flames the like literally fireworks in the background pounding music and flames fireworks sparks shooting up out of the stage he like marched out like an like a, a fucking rock star like in a concert and people were on their feet just going wild for him and then he sat down with a panel of other young conservatives that was headed by charlie kirk and a couple others people like jack posabeek and they of course talked about everything that happened with kenosha and his court trial and you know none of what we saw in the trial of him feigning the tears and the emotion and the supposed mm-hmm. empathy for everything that happened all of that was gone he was articulate and he was well dressed obviously coached and he's like built for this role and he's going to lean into this and he's going to become an important figure. I mean, he already is, but he's going to become an even more important figure on the American right. It's insane. And his big quote that stuck out to me was that the experience of going on trial for killing two people and shooting another and just in, indiscriminately shooting at people and in, into crowds in Kenosha, that that experience has in his own words, he said, helped him to grow and mature as a young man, which is beyond insane. I mean, even we're not going to litigate this whole thing or relitigate this whole thing. I mean, it doesn't matter no. if you think he was justified or not justified, even if it was justifiable self-defense to then come out on stage and do these interviews and this whole media tour and having Matt Gates offer him a job, all this insane shit like why would anybody do that? I mean, if you really feel deep down in your soul, like upset and emotional about killing other people, regardless of whether or not you were justified to do that or not, this is not the behavior of somebody who (laughs) thinks that that is not okay. I mean, this is somebody who is really leaning in hard to the entire conservative narrative about what it means to be, a good American, which is absolutely Mm -hmm. insane. So I I think there's some takeaways from this whole fucking thing is one, the media is not talking about this enough because everybody who's anybody in the conservative sphere right now was there. And it's especially telling because this is before the midterms, you know, the midterms are coming up not too far in the future. The production value was insane at this event. I mean, Paul, you and I go to industry events all the time in the industry that we work in and there's a lot of money and those events are pretty well put on this is like next level this was like beyond anything i've ever seen it was incredibly well produced but yeah it's just this fascism rebranded as patriotism i mean america fest like just that name mm-hmm. and all the it, just non-stop rhetoric about taking our country back and us versus them and it's very clear who the them is it's anybody who who's not a Christian conservative with these extreme radical right wing views. I mean, if you're not a paleo conservative Protestant Catholic who believes in all the traditional values that they espouse, then you are the other. And we want to take mm-hmm. you're an invader in our country. Like this is our country. We're the real Americans. You're not. You're an invasion and we need to get rid of you. We need to stamp you out. I mean, that's like the literal definition of fascism. And that's like one, I think to your first point, no, the media is not covering about it. Like just while we were sitting, the media is not covering this. Like as we were sitting here, I just like Googled America Fest and like the people that I see covering it. Okay. There's one Rolling Stone. Great. New York Post, but we know who reads the New York Post. It's it's very much a conservative magazine at this point or, or publication. Chattanooga Times, Fox News, like just going down the list here, Arizona Republic, like uh, the Daily Mail. Like these are not publications that would be quote unquote the mainstream media. And that's why I always get frustrated or not even frustrated is not the right word, but like when when Republicans are like, oh, the media is in your back pocket. I'm like, if the media was in the Democrats' back pocket, this event would be plastered everywhere, and it would be scaring the shit 
out of Democrats and like well-intentioned moderates that there's something deep and dark and wrong with the Republican Party. Like, so I completely agree with your first point that we're not we're not covering this enough. And and so I think it's on us as listeners of this podcast, as just everyday people, to talk about this with people in our lives that this is like a scary fucking thing. Like the clip I saw that went viral from this was a bunch of people dancing to the weekends, like blinded by the light. And it was unhinged. It was hilarious. It was easy to make fun of. But there's a lot of substance to your point, Andrew. $40 million is, is the organization. We know this event probably cost $15, $20 million to put on, you know, especially with the additional COVID precautions they probably had to take, even though it would appear that they did not have to take any, but just any kind of person who works in event management knows that there's thousands of hoops to jump through right now to get an event put on like this. Um, and it's terrifying. And I think that like, the media does a disservice by not covering the fact that this is a big thing where they think, oh, we don't want to amplify this. This is fringe. This is far right. But that's not their intention. The intention of this group is to be like, no, we are the base of the Republican Party. We are the base that wants to reelect Trump. We are the base that wants to take the country back. And regardless of whether or not the media covers it, it's going to get traction on social media. It's going to get traction back into other people's lives. And I think it's important on us to recognize that these events happen and talk to them to like the well-intentioned Christians in our life who like kind of are a bit more conservative and vote, you know, like Republican or sometimes maybe they didn't vote for Trump, but they're like the, you know, they're like the, the Trump Biden voters or something like that. So they voted for Trump the first time, voted for Biden the second time. Like we need to remind them that this is the core of their party now. What Trump created is the core of the party now there would be god i i mean i hope i don't know like if the situation with kyle rittenhouse happened you know 15 years ago i cannot imagine a conservative political action group bringing somebody like kyle rittenhouse on stage and then nominating somebody like george w bush like those seem like wildly different parties to me. Those seem like wildly different sort of like rallying points for me in terms of the Republican base. So I, I think we do need to do a bit of reminding to the people in our life that this is now what the party that they support, because this is the base of the party. And I think that it's very difficult to have that conversation if someone's like, well, those are the crazies and there are crazies on every side, right? Like that's what everybody's going to say. Of course there are. Of course there are extremist views on either side but there is absolutely one group that is looking to fund climate legislation to fund a child tax credit and to fund a lot of other social programs that's going to make a real difference in people's lives and then there's a lot of people that are talking about subverting elections and taking the country back from what and from whom they think they're the silent majority they never shut the fuck up like so it's just important to make these connections for us, I think, and for the people in our lives that we talk to every day. It doesn't need to be a speech you need to give off like I'm giving right now, but it can just be something that you lightly remind people on your social media feed that this is a thing that exists. And these are the people who support the party of President Trump. I think you're absolutely right. And for me, the bottom line is I use the term fascism and that's a long article use the term fascism. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of people would would say that that is reactionary or a, a overreaction. And how can you say something like that? But that's where it starts. And it is all that language. And we're we're you know, Trump got us to the top of that fascist funnel and we're sliding down it. And, you know, when people are saying they're getting canceled, because of course, cancel culture was one of the big trending topics at this thing. They're not talking about getting canceled for wanting fiscal conservatism or lower <laughs> right. taxes. They're not talking about getting canceled for, for those conservative values. They're talking about people getting upset with them when they say, uh, well, we shouldn't basically saying we shouldn't teach about slavery to, you know, third graders. Like, because that's going to make them feel bad about being white. Like, that's that's what people are criticizing on the American right. Mm -hmm. That's what it's become now, you know. And that it, you're right. That is the core of the party. And that's what is bothering me is that this is not being called out in more mainstream 
media when this kind of event happens and we have senators and, and members of Congress there that are saying these things. Agreeing. I think, and I think the big thing about this, A, it is 150% going to be a super spreader event. So that news is going to be fun to watch in a few weeks. But also, I think it shows the degree to which this is no longer, because I think all of us, and I think we are more, very clearly more politically engaged than the average person, but we don't go to rallies like this. Like we are not, it is, I have not, I don't know anyone who is a Democrat or progressive or just anywhere to the left that would ever attend something like this. And I'll be honest, if you guys said, do you guys want to, do you want to go to some giant festival where you're just going to see a whole bunch of politicians? I don't know. Yell. Like yell. That's like, right. yeah. yeah. I'd be like, girl, what the fuck? Like that. I could not think of a dumber way to spend my time. And so I think it shows that it is to me, this is stepping away from a political party and moving towards a cult. These actions and decisions are not normal. The fact that we are celebrating someone who beat a court case, like you didn't see us pulling in OJ Simpson and having fucking pyrotechnics as he walks on. It's like, it's so silly. Like we would never treat any other this side of the political spectrum would not treat someone who has killed people in this way. As much as a lot of us, I think at some points thought like, oh man, if someone just did the thing for Trump, <laughs> uh, but like, I wouldn't <laughs> calm down. I Kathy wouldn't celebrate. Yeah, I know, right? Oh my God. No. <laughs> Andrew, you were canceled. <laughs> Not the white <laughs> devil. <laughs> oh no, cancel culture. But, <laughs> but like we're not, there's no desire for blood that I've seen with these America Fest or even just, you know, some of the very conservative alt-right voices that have been speaking out where you know, they're preaching violence. And even though, you know, wink, wink, they're not saying go kill people. They're saying things that any idiot with a gun and a little feeling of, I don't know, disenfranchisement because they work in an industry that is completely irrelevant in a world where education gets you further than, I don't know, whatever your pop popped in. I think it's one of those things where, we can never outright say that they are responsible for X, Y, and Z. And they perfectly crafted it that way. And I think that, you know, this stupid little kiki that they decided to throw together is both completely unnecessary, terrifying. And I think that in 2024, if they do not get what they want, I think that Whatever we saw on January 6th is going to be nothing compared to what's going to happen January 6th, 2025. Agreed. On that hopeful note, we'll take a break and then we'll be right back. And we're back. Speaking of, uh, you know, hopeful notes, last Sunday, Joe Manchin decided to go on Fox News and tank the Build Back Better plan. Um, If you are not familiar with the Build Back Better plan, I'm going to do a quick description. If you are familiar, just, you know, hit forward by 15 seconds on your phone. The Build Back Better plan is Joe Biden's transformative investment in children, caregivers. It's also the uh, largest U.S. effort to combat climate change ever. It is also the biggest expansion of affordable health care in a decade since the Affordable Care Act. And it is overall the most significant effort to bring down costs and strengthen the middle class in generations. This has what 
Joe Biden ran on. It's what everybody voted for. All of the things he was saying, he has sort of bucketed into Build Back Better. And that's a very difficult thing to message on such a large scale. And it's even been difficult for me as somebody who you know creates Instagram content around this stuff to summarize and share with people. But essentially, negotiations have been ongoing for, I don't know, six, seven, eight months now on Build Back Better. Um, and the main holdup, as most people who listen to this podcast know, is Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin is a senator from West Virginia who does not have as progressive policy beliefs as the progressives in the House and the other progressives in the Senate. On Sunday morning, he went on Fox News and said, if I can't go home and explain this to the people of West Virginia, I can't vote for it. And I cannot vote to continue with this piece of legislation. I just can't. I've tried everything humanly possible. I can't get there. Naturally, the White House was very frustrated with that. So on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, Jen Psaki's office released a piece of communication that said Manchin's comments were at odds with his discussions this week with the president, the White House staff, and with his own public utterances. On Tuesday of this week, Senator Manchin came to the White House and submitted to the president in person directly a written outline of the Build Back Better bill that was the same size and scope as the president's framework and covered many of the same priorities. While that framework was missing some key priorities, we believed it could lead to a compromise acceptable to all. So there's this first piece of sort of what happened on Sunday of we discovered that, you know, Joe Manchin came to Joe Biden with a Build Back Better plan. And it sounded like that was a productive conversation. So obviously, with the way the White House reacted, Joe Manchin also needed to react. And on Monday on a radio show in West Virginia, Joe Manchin said, I'm from West Virginia. I'm not from where they're from. And they can't just beat the living crap out of people and think that they'll be submissive. So there's this first ego aside, both of the Biden office and of the Manchin office. I just have a couple questions. Number one, like what was missing in that first proposal, right? Like, I feel like all of these statements we've been hearing and and what is Joe Biden putting forward that Joe Manchin absolutely cannot agree to? And why isn't either side sharing it out loud? Because they're clearly very comfortable sharing their opinions about each other into the public world, but they're certainly not openly negotiating in the public. No one has said what is in Manchin's bill at all. Um, The second thing is, why did Manchin feel compelled to tell Fox that he wasn't going to vote for this bill? Like, definitely an interesting sort of strategy for him to announce it on Fox. There is some reporting that Manchin tried to call the White House before he went on the Fox News segment and he couldn't get through to them. And then the White House called back and they couldn't get through to him. And I just thought to myself, like, how the fuck do you guys not have each other on the ultimate speed dial of like, if Joe Manchin is calling you, Joe Biden needs to pick up. And I know it's not actively Joe Biden because he's unclear how to work an iPhone, but like in general, general, I made myself laugh with that one, but like in, in general, like why was his staff not like, oh my God, fucking Joe Manchin is calling. We need to get Biden on the phone now. He's about to go on Fox and tank the fucking bill. So apparently the Biden administration eventually found out about 30 minutes before he went on air. So like there's that whole piece of this, that there's just blatant miscommunication. And now tonight, as we speak, Chuck Schumer's like getting all the senators together and they're going to talk about the bill and reforming the filibuster to do something in the new year. And I'm just so confused and I'm so frustrated. And honestly, I feel more frustrated kind of with the Democratic leadership on this side of things, like Chuck Schumer specifically, you know, is that like the writing is like been on the wall that Joe Manchin's not happy with this. And I realize it's kind of been messy. Like he was saying, like, I'm not happy with this bill. I don't want childhood entitlements. There's some like random story about how he thinks that if we give money to people that they're going to use it on drugs. Like, again, I don't know if any of that's true, but like clearly there are things that he's been saying and putting out there. And then he proactively came to the office, albeit I would say way too late in the negotiations with a written outline of what he wanted in the bill what happened between now and then? Like, to me, this is is an ultimate failure of leadership by the Democratic Party. So I don't know if you guys had any like initial reaction to all of this stuff. I think this is going to continue to unfold. But Andrew, I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on sort of like how you're viewing this as either like a failure of Manchin, a failure of the leadership, like just like 
an overall communication fuckery? Like, are we just like already on Christmas break? Like what's going on here? So I kind of wanted to pose the question to the group and see sort of what your reaction was to it. I think this is incredibly frustrating and I don't understand where people like Mansion and Kristen Cinema have come from. These are people that you, none of us knew their names until six to nine months ago. And all of a sudden they're in the news all the time and all for being just so contrarian to their own party and the president's goals, not for any good reason, really. You know, it's, it's not like, I think there's a lot of legitimate ways to criticize Joe Biden. Of course, the Democrats, we should be able to disagree with points on our own side and, and talk through those disagreements. But this doesn't feel like that at all. It just feels like they're shutting things down for the sake of shutting things down so that they're constantly in the news cycle, especially Joe Manchin recently. The news cycle has been nothing but Joe Manchin over the last two weeks, and it's been very good for his public profile. That's a whole problem with our political system that we won't talk about <laughs> right. right now. But yeah, I think it really is as frustrating as as Mansion and Cinema are. It really is a failure of leadership. I mean, you know, the president is the leadership of the entire government, and but also his political party. But I don't think he has the power to really deal with these more granular issues. And I don't think it really is the president's place to do that. I think Joe Biden should say, Hey man, what's going on? Like we need to work together on this. You know, he should make those public statements. Absolutely. But it really does come down to Chuck Schumer as the majority leadership and the leader of the Democrats in the Senate for a long time. As much as we hate that crusty old turtle, Mitch McConnell, like he is the, iron-fisted ruler of the Republican Party. And one big pro of the Democratic Party is there are a lot of different opinions, and there can be disagreement. But what ends up happening when you're up against the Republican Party that is this monolith is we lose a lot in, in these sorts of situations. And it's it's both a pro and a con. We we want to have a big tent and we want to have a lot of a range of ideas and we want to be able to have healthy discussion about how best to implement these kinds of policies. And we don't want to be like the Republicans that are just like all in for Trump, no matter what. We don't care if he kicks a baby across Fifth Avenue. We're still in on Trump no matter what. And mm -hmm. but once that is also a strength of the Republican Party, and it's a strength of Mitch McConnell to be able to keep his entire party moving forward as one single unit. And, you know, I don't know how to reconcile those things because I'm just some dumb podcaster. But <laughs> it is it's so incredibly frustrating to watch these things happen. And and especially, you know, with with what's going on with Joe Manchin is it really just smacks of like, this guy is very, very wealthy. He's making a ton of money. You know, he has investments and interest in coal and other fossil fuels. And there's a lot of green energy in this bill and infrastructure that may not be really great for those investments of his. So it just smacks like in personal enrichment and he's trying to raise his public profile for some higher office at some point in the future, maybe. And I just want Chuck Schumer to just fucking kick him in the nuts and say, dude, shut the fuck up. Like get in line, whatever it is you want. It's illegitimate. That, and it is, it's like, I can't figure out like which way I land on that discussion. You know, like Jen Psaki's office like released a statement after this statement as they do. And she's like, Oh, like we didn't intend to offend. And I'm like, are you kidding? You know, <laughs> like, I was like, you didn't intend to offend. I was like, you absolutely intended to offend him and to put pressure on him. And it was great. It was exciting. It was like, woo, we did this. But then I'm also like, I don't know. Clearly Joe Manchin has, a massive fucking ego. So do you just need to like praise him and stroke him and tell him that he's amazing? And, you know, like, 
is that the way to win him over? Like, I, I don't know. Like, in that statement, could they have said, Senator Manchin, you know, it, it came as a surprise to us this morning. He came to us with a plan. We were so optimistic this week. We really value his opinion and we're taking him seriously. Well, I don't know, like a more positive statement, like would that have worked? I, I think everybody was frustrated in that moment. We saw it in, in Kamala's, you know, interview with, with Charlemagne. Like she's clearly very frustrated about certain things right now. Like I think clearly the Biden administration is frustrated that they have passed major legislation, but their approvals in the shitter. They now have this other variant to deal with, right? Like they're trying to do the right thing, but it's like, what wins here? Like, do you just treat Joe Manchin, who I think, Andrew, to your point, like, I don't think he's particularly smart in terms of, I don't think he gets how these bills like work. You know, like, I don't think he understands like how these policies benefit people. Like, I think he has a very outdated sense of what is right for Americans and what his party is like actively supporting. Maybe that's just me, but it is. It's like, what's the alternative here? Like, if you don't treat him like a king, uh, or if he's going to be pissed at you, and if you do treat him like a king, who's to say that's going to sway his opinion? So, is Chuck Schumer having more of the iron fist the appropriate strategy? I don't know. At this point, I'm very fed up with Chuck Schumer in general. I, I find him very frustrating. He he's now saying we're going to pass or have a vote on voting right reform like the first week in January. I'm like, please stop putting deadlines on things. Please stop saying we're going to pass this by Halloween. We're going to pass this by Thanksgiving. We're going to pass this by Christmas. It has like a member of your party who's trying to speak to people and get them rallied around you. It's really not that easy to do. That's a huge messaging problem. And Republicans don't have any substantive policy. Thus, the messaging, you know, becomes a lot easier. It's just taking the country back. But I don't know. I've, I, I, I was so shocked at the revelation that it was so clear and then i was so like embarrassed uh, like uh, through the democrat about the democratic party you know over the last like three or four days just watching the sort of fallout from this erica i'm not sure where you land on this but i don't know, probably equally yeah. frustrated i would assume yeah i think it's just you know it just shows that i think to a lot of people who are anti-democratic party and i don't think that always means that you know, someone who is a Republican, I think it kind of validates a lot of quips that they've had about the Democratic Democrat Party, where we're not really a party that's known for doing shit. We're like, and I think a lot of people, one of the biggest things that they said about Trump is that he goes in and he does things. And he you cannot deny that. He certainly does go in and he does things. Are they good things? No, not really. But he is a doer, and I think historically the Republican Party or the GOP has always been seen as a party that gets it done, and the Democrats are too democratic, and there's too much discussion and discourse, and then they don't move as quickly as people want. So I think that this, unfortunately, is a very public reiteration of some of those sentiments that I know a lot of people are holding. Yeah, agreed. And just why does our government function in such a way that one individual can hold up something as important <laughs> as the Build Back Better plan or any legislation for fuck all reason? Just mm -hmm. to be like, oh, fuck you people. I don't want it. So I'm not going to do it. One single person puts almost $2 trillion worth of shit and in jeopardy for over 300 million other people mm -hmm. what the fuck and not even i believe like i saw that tweet that was going around it's like not even 300,000 people voted for this guy Jesus. <laughs> so, west virginia is not the most populated state like what like how does this one person who represents this small constituency get to decide policy for the millions and how? one of the like the poorest states in the country that has just horrible metrics in education and poverty and jobs and everything else and not to disparage the people of West Virginia, but it's clearly a failure of their politicians. And this is a man that makes insane amounts of money with his fossil fuel interests and investments. And he's extremely wealthy and he does not speak for the people of West Virginia or any other state. I mean, he's definitely in that rarefied 1% air and he's making these decisions that are going to affect his state much more than most other states. 
in yeah. negative ways. Be like, okay, Joe, like, how about we, uh, <laughs> we'll pass the policy, but West Virginia gets none of the benefits. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's just bizarre to me. Like, it's well, just not bizarre. Not for nothing. You also have to consider, you know, when someone sits, but like, when someone doesn't have a lot of money and they're working these jobs that are sometimes dangerous or long hours, which can be dangerous, they're not necessarily focused on politics. So I think he also has that benefit of, you know, his constituents aren't paying attention to what he's doing. And whereas I think, you know, and that's obviously not everyone, but it's certainly not the majority either. Whereas, you know, in other, you know, the East Coast or the coastal elites, we are more politically engaged and we are really watching what's happening. But we also, let's be honest, there are very few policies that would change our lives so detrimentally, especially from a fiscal standpoint as well. So I think that, you know, we are not considered a vulnerable group as much as others, but we're the ones watching, right? And so I think it's, kind of fucked up that like he gets to walk around completely like with no accountability his constituents aren't holding him accountable and we can't hold him accountable because we are technically not his constituents but we still have to suffer it's funny like there was a group of protesters outside of his office and it was like 20 30 people and like how fucking awesome that those 20 and 30 people are out there protesting but i'm also like if this was a senator from Pennsylvania, the entire city of Philadelphia would be destroying his office and Philly Elmo would be out there like with the drum line going yes. off. Like, it's just like, it really is interesting. Like I feel for all those loyal Democrats in West Virginia who like vote Democrat year after year and they try and they try, you know, like, and then they just feel like Joe Manchin is not at all trying to do anything that benefits them. But I think we'll see, right? And that's kind of why I gave the disclaimer at the beginning of this episode. Like, maybe we will hear more about Manchin's plan in the coming days. Like, maybe we'll hear that he does want the child tax credit. Maybe we'll hear that he does want free preschool. Maybe we'll hear that he is fine with some the, the level of spending that Biden proposed on climate. I don't know. I think that this is just going to continue to shake out and that creating legislation, watching legislation being created, and then watching the fuckery that goes on in between is really frustrating. And I think that this is my first time paying as close attention as I ever have. And I'm sure it's probably similar to you guys too. And a lot of people listening, Trump got us really engaged in politics. Trump really got us to care about politics and look into nuance that we didn't look into before. And that's a great thing for us on the Democratic side, but it's also... I want to validate everybody's feelings. Incredibly frustrating to watch how Washington works. So I don't know, Erica, I know you've got a shorter headline this week, but I would love to kick it over to you to talk about something else and very 2016 and Trump-like. love a throwback moment and i know like paul said a couple of times like there might be updates to what we're talking about based off of all of 20 between 2016 and 2020 i doubt there will be any updates on this because historically that's just not how it goes down and that is governor abbott from the great state of texas hook'em or whatever just unveiled two miles of the new border wall couple things to note there's been no communication on what the actual plan is. They do not know how much wall is going to be built. They know that the state of Texas has set aside $1.05 billion for border burials, but there's nothing that's saying where that's going to go. And so it's a lot of nothing. And it's kind of, it's just a no nothing headline, which I think is pretty... I don't know, pretty on par with what it has been in the past. TBT to when Mexico was going to pay for this, by the way. This is not Mexican money. I um, can't, I can't believe you just said oh, that. <laughs> this is not in pesos. <laughs> but that's to say, again, I think it is certainly one of those things where it quite frankly might 
just fade away. But one thing that I did want to note, because I thought this was kind of completely out of pocket, $54 million of this $1.05 billion plan came from private donations, which means that there are enough rich, maybe, I don't even know rich, sometimes not, but there are enough idiots out there who are willing to throw money at, quite frankly, an idea. Like, I could come up with a more well-thought plan in the next 20 minutes than (laughs) what I'm looking at now. And it's just, again, it is an epic waste of taxpayer dollars. And I think, you know, it brings to question, again, going back to your constituents, it brings to question where the people who should be asking what are you doing with this $1 million? If you are using my tax dollars to do anything, I have the right as a taxpayer to know what the fuck that means. And right now it's just a whole bunch of like, (laughs) there's going to be a wall. And that's kind of it. And it's, it's ridiculous and it's absurd, but also incredibly on par. Yeah. I'm just reading this story now from the Texas Tribune (laughs) taxpayer money. But then $54 million in private donations. Damn, if I were a Democrat in like Texas, I would be so mad. Because there are more and more Democrats moving to Texas. Like mm-hmm. There are more and more people who are, are you know, moving there and they have the ability to transform the politics. And I would be so frustrated if I watched my tax dollars going towards this, just like I was, you know, during the Trump administration. I was like, this is stupid. This is stupid. So I guess he unveiled what, 900 feet? Love it. It's 900 feet. My home is 1600 square feet. (laughs) You mean to tell me? You're showing me like what? The bottom part of my house? Fuck out of here. It's (laughs) It's just so frustrating. Yeah, it looks like they're estimating it will cost $20 million a mile. By comparison, the border wall construction under the Trump administration ranged from either $6 million to $34 million. That sounds like a very Trumpian level of business planning. We know oh, yeah. it's going to cost some money. We're not sure if it's going to be $6 million a mile or $34 million a mile. <laughs> like, I also I just, think it's uh, funny that they're building this at probably the most expensive time in U.S. history to build yeah. fucking anything. Right, but Democrats are the party of wasteful spending. Uh, yes. Always will go back to it. Of course. This is all our fault. Andrew, any comments on the wall building? I know you're a big proponent of it. Oh my god. <laughs> I, I think we should build a wall around Joe Manchin. How about that? <laughs> this, like, Honestly, I'm here for the, it. The money that's being spent on this, I mean, I think you, you nailed it. Like, all the talk of fiscal fiscal responsibility and being fiscally conservative and we can't be spending money on canceling student loan debt or services for the most poor and disadvantaged people in this country because fuck them, they should pull themselves up by their bootstraps and get a job. But no one bats an eye that the military budget gets billions and billions and billions of dollars bigger every fucking year. And we're just pissing away money on fence in the middle of nowhere that people can just walk around and climb over and tunnel under and it doesn't help anyway and most illegal immigrants come in legitimately and then their visas expire like this is not the way to combat any of this if we're going to throw money at something we should throw money at reforming how our entire immigration process works how about that Mm -hmm. instead of basically building symbols out in the fucking middle of nowhere that only serve to just fulfill a campaign promise. Donald Trump maybe doesn't know this. I don't know. The dude has brain worms, but somebody like Greg Abbott absolutely fucking knows that this is completely useless and means fucking nothing, but it's a physical thing that they can show on TV and in pictures to their the people who voted for them and say, look, we did a fucking thing. I mean, to me, it's the same thing as statues of Robert E. Lee, you know, Oh, don't take them down. We're going to forget history. They want these physical things that they can look at and feel and touch that tangible thing to make them feel a certain way or make them feel like they're winning. That's what the fucking wall is. It's just a monument 
to failure in the same way that every Confederate monument is a monument to failure. Mm, preach. Well, I'm erect. <laughs> well, I need to leave this podcast. <laughs> I love it. Well, those were our headlines for the week. So thank you both for bringing yours. We'll be right back with our segment, Pack It Up. All right, and welcome back for our final segment of the episode. This is Pack It Up. This is the segment where we highlight a person, an organization, or something in pop culture that needs to pipe down and pack it up. Everyone is going to go, and I am going to go first. This week, I am saying pack it up to Tommy Laren. <laughs> and, and and I know this is this is kind of a throwback as well, but I just wanted to remind the listeners that, you know, there, she's still out there. Tommy Laren, if you don't know, is a far right media personality who's totally a grifter, just like uh, Candace Owens. I don't believe that she believes anything that she says, but will do anything to get booked and blessed. I don't have a specific packet up towards Tommy Laren, but what I do have are some of her recent tweets. And I just wanted to go through some of them with all of you. And the first one is Joe isn't the president. Kamala isn't either. It's either Fauci or Obama, but we'd all like to know who is pulling the strings and destroying our nation. I'll discuss at noon on Fox and Friends. Jesus Christ. (laughs) An amazing thing happens when you take off your mask and breathe freely. The easily intimidated but also freedom-loving folks around you follow your lead. This is how we get our country back. Take it. Stop complying with arbitrary tyranny and start living again. Try it out. I just say the next one. I like I, <laughs> <laughs> for the trillionth time. Get the vaccine and the booster, and the booster's booster if you want to. Wear a mask in your car, the shower, and to sleep if you want to. But you have no right. All caps. You have no right to make anyone else go away! Exclamation mark. I just. It's like my brain is processing processing so many terrible things to say about this person. But A, if for some god-awful reason she finds this podcast, she would take my ass to fucking court. Right? Okay, here's one I like. Well, I like half of it. (laughs) Kyle is innocent. (laughs) He acted in self-defense. He should sue the pants off the mainstream media outlets defaming him. But the idol worshiping isn't a smart move. Hot take. Oh. You know what? How about this? If it looks like a cold, sounds like the cold, and the symptoms are basically a cold, maybe we should treat it more like a cold. Outrageous thinking, I suppose. Okay, this is where I just say. In her defense, she did go to a decade of medical school and is a noted epidemiologist. No, she fucking (laughs) isn't. She's fucking dumb. Dr. Laren. Fucking hell. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and as she loves to attack Anna Navarro, who was like on CNN, Anna Navarro posted this picture of a candle. It said, if you're not vaccinated, get the fuck out of my house. And then Tommy Laren said, it's okay. No one was lining up to see, talk, socialize, or know you, Anna. You can sit in your house, triple vaxxed and masked, alone and bitter. I'm sure you were doing that for the holidays long before COVID anyway, so it shouldn't be a stretch. I like the level, she doesn't even know how to read. Like she doesn't even know how to attack. It's like a level of cringe, I feel. But it's also so easy to say, yeah, Tommy, a lot of our symptoms are like the cold, but 800,000 people have died. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, I just don't understand like where she thinks she's making a point other than just, it's like the, I'm just asking questions. I'm just poking holes. It's like, no, you're not. Like, no, you're not. You're actually just trying to get social media points 
because you're fairly irrelevant at this point. You're not asking questions. You're not Ben Shapiro. You're not making any money, you know, in the same way or at the same level as some of those other motherfuckers. And so I just have to say, pack it up to the irrelevant, unhinged Tommy Larand. Period. Bye, bitch. Andrew, who are you packing up this week? Uh, I'm packing up someone else who is equally irrelevant. This was going to be my headline, but he's so irrelevant that we went with something that's actually important. But pack it the fuck up, Steve Bannon. This fucking dumb piece of shit who has been getting his cheeks clapped by the American judicial system is just like going all in on the most unhinged shit. Of course, the pandemic is one of the big things that he talks about on his stupid fucking podcast, because of course he has a fucking podcast. Um, and he claims there's a war against unvaccinated people. There is not a war against unvaccinated people. I can count on one single finger, one single time that I've had to show my vaccine card anywhere in this country over the last, I don't know, six months, nine months, like one time, one time I've had to show it. And you live much closer to Republicans than anybody else. Yes. I mean, there is like in my town where I live, there's no pandemic. People are living their lives like a hundred percent normally. And where's this war? It's only on his mind and in Breitbart and on his stupid podcast. Um, and then of course the more, pressing matter is his views on uh the 2020 election which are of course even more unhinged and he said on monday that he claims somehow no explanation of how that we not really sure who the we is but we are going to get it the election decertified that is legally impossible it, it's just, it's not a thing that exists. It's not a thing that he or anybody else can do. The election was decided. The election was won. It's over. It's done with. Move the fuck on, you ancient ass snowflake. He said, this is a direct quote, by the way. We care because we care about the legitimacy of our process. We are a constitutional republic. And guess what? We are going to take over the election apparatus. You cannot say we care about the legitimacy of our process and we and recognize that we're a constitutional republic and then say we're going to take over the election apparatus. Those two concepts are at opposite ends of any thought process. They are completely contradictory. It makes absolutely no fucking sense. And anybody listening to him needs to get their brain checked because how can you hear that and not see the glaring contradiction? Just shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. The way that you were first talking, I when you were like, we care, I was like, oh, is he going, I was like, is this like Monsters, Inc.? We scare because we care. Like, that's all I heard <laughs> when you were talking. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, Steve Bannon, please, please pack it up. <laughs> first of all, that man looks like he's been fighting COVID since he was fucking born. <laughs> <laughs> he's truly he's does. fighting some demons for sure oh god um erica who are you packing up this week i'm packing up a group of people in the holiday spirit i would like to pack up all you asshats who are out here fucking around going to SantaCon and acting like we're not in a fucking pandemic still like i don't know when they fucking sounded the alarms and said we're all clear but as evidenced by the Six, I have COVID texts I've gotten today. I would like to think that we're still fucking in this. So if you're going to act a fool and get yourself killed, get yourself fucking killed, okay? Stay away from your family. Stay the fuck away from me. And stay away from people who are genuinely taking this seriously. I am sick of it. Um, I truly think the White House said it, and I'm going to say it times 10. Thank you to everyone who's done their part and gotten vaccinated and even encouraged people to get vaccinated and done work in their own communities. I appreciate the work that you've done. And I appreciate that you care about other people, but you other motherfuckers, listen the fuck up. You are stupid and you're going to get yourself killed. And you know what the white house said? 
that's on you, bitch. And it's still on you, bitch. The White House has really been releasing some wild statements recently. <laughs> the, the White House is unhinged. <laughs> and what's really funny about like, it is, like, Trump could say literally whatever the fuck he wanted to say. And everybody in the Republican Party was just absolutely in awe and enamored of it. And they are losing their fucking shit over that press release or post on the website or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Like, yeah, it was pretty severe. It was pretty harsh. But, like, we're at this point. We're heading into, like, year three. What the fuck, people? Yeah. You know who else I want to pack up really quick? That... (laughs) Scraggity, crusty ass bitch, Sally May. <laughs> trying to get me to these yeah, fuck the student loans. I'm sorry for everybody who's dealing with that right now. That is brutal. That is brutal. Andrew's been out of school for 40 years, so he paid his back already. It only cost $725 a year when I went. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. That was great. That was great. Well, that's our show. I hope that you all enjoyed it. Um, This has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. If you liked us, let us know. You can now rate on Apple Podcasts. And Spotify just added the feature as well. So if you're a Spotify listener, please rate us there as well. Um, It'll help us, you know, get in front of more people, take our message to others. And if you have any feedback, um, just send an angry DM to Kirk because the rest of us don't really feel like dealing with your shit on this Christmas break. <laughs> but, <laughs> but just kidding. You can always email let's unpack that pod at gmail.com. But thank you all so much for listening. We will talk to you guys next week. Have a happy new year. Bye.